call for all of us to recognise and acknowledge the fact of occupation, to rethink the received colonial settler narrative. Welcome to Deadly Justice with Tallulah, your local Aboriginal justice show. Welcome to Deadly Justice this fortnight. Um, we are fortunate enough to have a co-host on this show. We have Aaron Bronnett, who was a guest on our previous show and one of our interns with KCLS. Um, and Aaron is going to join me in interviewing one of our guests this fortnight. We are fortunate enough to have Scott Wilson on this show, who is a role model in the Broom community as well as the Kimberley. Uh, he is an entrepreneur doing some really positive things in mental health, especially for men. We hear a little bit about his journey and how he's overcome some pretty serious obstacles to get to where he is today and um, how he manages to stay in a positive mindset um, when things are kind of going a little bit pear-shaped for him. So, uh, yeah. So tell us about you. All right. Uh, firstly, absolutely honoured to be here uh, with Tallulah and Aaron and having a yarn today. And uh, I'd like to start by saying I'm a Guniindi Yulu, which actually means man in Guniindi language, uh, from Mulija community just outside of Fitzroy Crossing. And uh, from my dad's side, I have all that connection to Merong Gajurong, Gajurong that goes with my, what we call Dawang, which is Waterbong. It's just uh, subgroups within Gajurong country and those so that uh, group is called uh, Waterbung and that's my Dawang which is closer to the Cape Domit so more to the coastal areas of Kananara and that region and so that's that connection up there and uh, with that connection uh, is who I am basically and uh, my name is Scott Wilson and in Guniandi language you say Nganyigili Scott Wilson Nganyigili as I said before Guniandi Yulu so my name is Scott Wilson I'm a Guniandi man and I am currently uh, exploring various uh, opportunities uh, to more so empower and uh, create pathways um, for my people in avenues that often aren't explored, especially when going into uh, the entrepreneurial side of things, but also into uh, exploring uh, more Aboriginal-owned entities. Or we're talking, uh, you guys all didn't hear this, but in terms of our a yarn about IP and intellectual property, but also just being in control of our narrative. So I have my own company alongside as co-founder with uh, Benny Egmelis, which uh, who's a stand-up comedian. He won the Deadly Funnies uh, back in 2017. Uh, definitely check him out. He thinks he's funny. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, and uh, yeah, so I'm co-founder of Ice Cream Productions, and we offer kind of more so uh, service within four pillars, which is film and television, alongside publications, events management, and programs, whether that's in social justice and various areas within youth, uh, impacting in that more so empowerment uh, category. And so that's one of my companies. And the other one was uh, actually Northern Pitches. Uh, we have a partnership, and I'm a co-founder of Yuani Productions, which is in Guniandi, means one. Uh, Yuani means one, and we thought, oh, we have a non-Indigenous uh, production company and an Aboriginal-owned production company. We'd come together to create this, you know, this sense of unity under Yuani. 
And so currently with those two production companies, I'm exploring uh, various things uh, within film and television, uh, creating my own content, my own Aboriginal superhero universe, as well as uh, providing any kind of capacity building and building of representation in the areas of film, television, content, building, and all of those kind of things. And on top of that, I also am supported and I work with a large-scale uh, youth platform called Year 13. And uh, we currently provide online support and decision-making tools to 1.6 million young people across Australia. And uh, with that is uh, a now a huge expansion into the Kimberley to make it more culturally appropriate and inclusive of local and regional areas with our connection currently with St. Mary's College as well as Broome Senior High School and our partnership with Nyamaburi Yaru. <laughs> wow, that not is not uh, much going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quiet. yeah. that's some, some really amazing, awesome stuff, and I'm loving this um this idea of the the Aboriginal superhero stuff. I'm like a huge yeah. Marvel DC fan and all of that stuff, and I've seen some yeah. of your drawings, and they're so amazing. Oh, my attention so. sounds awesome. Yeah. Oh, definitely, <laughs> yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, no, really cool to hear about all of the stuff you're doing and obviously that goes into like the stuff that you're passionate about. So um, social justice and helping Aboriginal people, particularly in the Kimberley. Um, you kind of covered that. Is there anything <laughs> else, I guess? Uh, yeah, there is a lot of things behind the scenes that are growing and uh, that are being established. Um, and it's all it, the whole theme about it is uh, democratising information. And so what I mean by that is that we have a major information barrier um, that kind of boxes us in to our little communities where we are lacking an understanding of all the endless possibilities that we can achieve, not only within community, but also outside of that. And so if we can break down those silos and those barriers, we open up young people to ideas, concepts, even a future that uh, is filled with endless possibilities from Aboriginal-owned, not only land, but sovereignty with the resources to, I guess, more so maintain longevity um, within that. And so we're looking at expanding in these areas just to build a pathway uh, to make sure that young people know that, you know, you don't have to just go and be a part of a major corporation. You can create a corporation. You know, you don't have to go to a nightclub. You can be the nightclub owner. You know, you don't have to drink the beverage. You can create the beverage. You know, and it's about that empowerment that has driven me my entire life. And so now you start to see across Australia is that there is 100% owned businesses being created. And so what I want to see is that happen here in the Kimberley, that happen across Western Australia where we have and can support 100% owned businesses in fashion, in beverages, in all these different industries. Um, and one day we will achieve that because that will create an economy that will support social change for our people. <laughs> yeah, in a nutshell. Yeah, no, that's really, really interesting stuff to what, that. What do you think the, the biggest barriers to people, though, are currently? I mean, obviously, you, you said that there are the, the knowledge barriers, the, the main one. In terms of what's preventing people from, from accessing that, do you think it's starting at... The, the lowest levels in terms of education and those beginning things? Or do you think that obviously with the amazing work you're doing that you can change that all around later on for people, you know, that there's always opportunity to 
know, yeah. overcome those barriers. Well, I think um, there's always a three-pronged approach mm. to all these things, and l often we focus on one specific area. And so at the moment, the three-pronged approach would always have to be a preventative mm. measure, uh, what is happening currently, presently, and what is there reactively for those um, to support them. So um, if we cover those three areas, we start to build a generation of young people coming through that have access to this information, that have more autonomy, more control over their narrative. Uh, presently, what is there to develop young people now? You know, what is there? And then reactively, you know, there's a generation of uh, uh, mid to older adults that mm -hmm. are still seeking their purpose and passion. And by delivering and understanding that, wait, at 45, I can create and become a millionaire or create uh, a whole enterprise, create a company, create a business. That is not out of the window or out of the mm. picture. You know, we have so much stories in the cosmos that share of people like Oprah, even Morgan Freeman, those kind of people. But even people in Australia that I'm not sure of now, but with marketing and with time, we'll start to hear stories of people that are in their older generations that are discovering their true potential or even discovering a way of uh, not just doing what uh, the dominant culture wants you to do, but doing what you want to do. I think it's really interesting that you say that because I talk about like in the in our previous show and and a few other shows as well um about redefining success and i think it's really like difficult because i think that's all really brilliant stuff and mm. definitely like plays a big role in helping aboriginal people to kind of i don't know close the gap or whatever mm. but also looking at how aboriginal people can do that in a way that suits aboriginal people best yeah. so celebrating and allowing for aboriginal people to do things that are aligned with culture that also allows them to contribute to their economy and their society and their communities and stuff like that. So, like, I'm pro, I'm pro like alternative education, um, meaning that you know you, kids don't have to go to high school to go yeah. to uni to go yeah, yeah. get a degree and <laughs> yeah. whatever else. Um, but yeah, I think there's like I think it's a really good concept, but it's also really hard because there is also this conflict because, like I said, this dominant culture is always yeah. kind of um, also I don't want to say imposing, but yeah. I'm kind of pushing this idea that we need to have a house and a car and a job yeah, and absolutely. everything to be successful. Um, yeah, so I think, um, yeah, interesting stuff. And what Aaron said as well, there are a whole lot of barriers that yeah. prevent Aboriginal people from being able to do that. Yeah. I think it's also, we need to look at how we're defining, like what we're valuing. Yeah. Like we should be valuing things like the importance of art and dance and doing ceremony on country. Like that should be like, a part of our everyday jobs like we give what two weeks for sorry business or something like that you know mm. anyway no i think that's really cool but that hasn't always been you know you've had a pretty like up and down um journey and it hasn't always been easy for you so do you want to tell us a little bit about some of the obstacles that you've had to overcome to get to where you're at you know definitely i think um first and foremost is that often when you're going through your journey uh, you tend to normalize the abnormal, especially um, for a lot of uh, Aboriginal people, but I also extend that to people um, impacted by low socioeconomic disadvantage. And so the norm, you know, uh, that we see is often abnormal for, like, the dominant culture, dominant society. Um, and so growing up, uh, I think it all stems from completely the history of our people. And um, we say this and we speak about this again and again, and it's... 
uh, about giving this understanding that there is ongoing effects, you know, from stone generation, assimilation policies, all these different things. And so intergenerational trauma was uh, quite a uh, journey for me because I had not even known about this term. You know, it was kind of like, you know, in the far distance, um, not even in my vocabulary mm -hmm. or even spoken about once going through, you know, high school and those kind of things. It was kind of like, oh, maybe that's the reason why I'm feeling these things or these unidentified emotions that I don't know why I'm feeling, but I feel them and they're affecting me, uh, can be broken down or even kind of uh, considered to be an effect of intergenerational trauma. Uh, and so growing up and going to university at a very young age, I started to not really understand what uh, I was going through. I was kind of growing through it. And I think that's a lot of the times uh, people uh, tend to go through things and not grow through things. And uh, that's a big difference between uh, resilience and, uh, what do you say, endurance, you know? Hmm. A lot of people endure a lot of things, um, you know, and that breaks you down. But once you start to fully understand it or even start that journey of being conscious of these things you start building that resilience you know to actually move through it and, and grow. grow through it yeah yeah and so i always start to see that from a very young age being very perceptive um in terms of looking at my parents and my mom and uh her growing up in the tail end of the stone generation and seeing a lot of the hardship they went through and a lot of that hardship is what uh, fueled uh, me in terms of my drive for what I wanted to do, where I wanted to go, and how I could become more to do more for my people. And so on that journey, uh, yeah, going to boarding school, I had suffered under a lot of my own experience, lived experience of mental health uh, that I kind of kept to my boarding house room. <laughs> and it was there where I kind of really started doing, which I started to hear about later on in my life is about fully exploring me individually and uh, my identity and who I am and that came with uh, understanding my mental health in this way of uh, getting through that alone and what I saw the dominant culture uh, kind of uh, expressing and what that identity could be and a lot of the times we are out of that control and the dominant culture will say something and we assimilate to that dominant culture of what mental health is what success is what all these different things is and so once you become conscious of that and stop being a part of the system and start to learn the system to really understand um, where you are and how to move forward and that's where I was uh, in my boarding house room when I used to suffer under what uh, the dominant culture would call night terrors but I felt it was a bit more than that. I used to hear voices and uh, a lot of different things like that telling me stupid things, sometimes wanting me to hurt myself and different things like that. And I had a huge explosive uh, uh, incident where I smashed the boarding house room early hours of one morning. Um, and uh, I had uh, one uh, fella, you actually uh, come and see if I was okay. But one out of uh, a lot of people in the boarding house and at that point I said oh like I'm all right bro you know and I mm. are now talking and um with uh speaking to Batia which is another mental health organization that talks through telling your story and your mental health lived experience I started to understand oh I should have uh, actually said no I'm not okay mm. and actually encourage people to actually say no you know I don't have to do this alone I can actually seek that support um, but for me to understand that, I had to go through it alone. And so that one day, no one has to go through that alone. And so I did 
go through that alone in my boarding house room and I used to spend hours up at night with these voices in my head panting around the room like a mental patient in a uh, mm. in Greylands which was a stigma at the time is that oh if you have mental health you're going to Greylands and we used to make fun of that you know it's like mm. hey don't talk about that you go Greylands you know and that was the stigma and I think that's a stigma that's still here is that uh, we'll get sent to a room we'll be labeled with mental illness and then we'll be given pills that's supposed to suppress these things whether it's anxiety whether it's depression whether these things that'll make us numb and I never ever wanted to feel numb and so I went through it, and as I said, I grew through it. So that boarding experience so obviously was a really challenging one, and with that attitude that you have of you'd rather build resilience than endurance, is that an experience that you look back on with being grateful for that experience, or is it something that you know you wish it sort of went differently? Oh, I definitely am grateful for that experience. Um, you know, I think uh, with everything, a lot of people... Uh, uh, we tend to conceptualize it in one specific way, and that is often determined by our environment and uh, mm. social determinants and historical determinants. And once you have a personal determinants and actually set foot down and stand for that, you start to be able to flip your perspective on things. And instead of looking at the old saying of half empty, you can start to flip that and look at things half full. And so a lot of things that happen to you, you know, uh, doesn't just do that, it's happening for you. Mm. So instead of like, you know, one day, you know, I guess back in the day with our people, right? If our memories and stuff like that all created in our brains to actually create this cognitive, you know, understanding of why we do things, right? Or even conceptualize things, like for our elders or ancestors back in the day where we walked down the track and said, oh, okay, uh, last week, you know, Jaja uh, didn't get attacked by dingoes that week. Are we going to go walk down that same track? <laughs> no, but at least that person was there to share the story and actually make awareness that these things will happen. And uh, maybe they didn't enjoy that uh, actual experience, but the outcome and the ability to actually stop someone else from mm. going it the same way is, uh, I feel like, is so important and that's why empowerment is a huge thing and that's why we need older people talking we need young people talking now uh, about their experiences because you can learn a lot from that in terms of avoiding things or even being like oh my god i'm going through something joe told mm -hmm. me last week and he said that he wished that he went to someone or he spoke to someone now that empowered me to be like pick up the phone and message someone you know? Well, I feel like we also talk about like mental health in particular in yeah. such general terms. Like yeah. We always talk about these feelings of anxiety, stress, depression, and these are the symptoms. But I feel that people learn the most when you share your personal experience. Yeah. And obviously, there's so much shame and stigma that people yeah. feel and reasons why they don't share these things. But in terms of the difference that it can make in someone else's life, sharing the experience you went through as an individual can make, I think, just such a huge difference compared to... Yeah, I like I fully 100% agree, but I think it's so hard. I mean, it's all well and good to say that this is a really good idea to mm. do, but it's so like hard to, number one, share your story. Mm. Like it's not an easy thing to do. And then also like, like I think about suicide and the stuff we were talking about in our other interview. Um, how many people have to go through that journey before we start not doing it do you know what i mean like yeah. we have so many people go through that not the same journey but very similar journeys and it's like okay but something's not working you know yeah. oh absolutely and it just yeah it breaks my yeah. heart and i think it's yeah it's important that yeah. we share 
stories and stuff like that and and i think it's like <laughs> i don't want to sound like a, I don't know but i feel like it's hard for me to share a story with my brother yeah. i can't share a story with my brother i mm. can't share a story with my dad because i'm a woman and that's my yeah you know that's my dad and my brother like so you have specific people you can share stories with and then um more often than not it's not the time or the place to share that story and then you don't you often feel like you can't share that story because um you know how the saying is a burden shared is a burden halved yeah Mm. but often it's not like that people feel like i can't share my story because they're going through their own shit so i best not re-traumatize them or tell them about their their experience i think it's really interesting because like i think this idea of sharing our stories and um kind of helping people telling people oh yeah okay i've been through that so i know what it feels like and hopefully it helps to empower people um but yeah like how many people have to commit suicide or deal with having been through suicide or you know their families go through all of that for people to go this is not working like because if i may add Tallulah is that i i was thinking about this the other day and like you know how we have a lot of professional sports people and all politicians all those kind of things and we have a huge number of people that have uh, the lived experience of cancer uh, testicular cancer, all these different uh, hardships that we face in life and often, you know, biological stuff. And from that, because they have the resources, they can actually impact on that because of that connection. You know, often if like some famous billionaire, right, has testicular cancer, um, he will set up a foundation to support people with testicular cancer, right? I keep getting my, my <laughs> uh, But, uh, yeah. you know, when will it be, like, does it have to be like with our prime minister has to experience suicide in terms of in his family to actually impact on that. Why does it have to be like that? Mm. Why can't the collective experience of it in every single way deem appropriate to try to do all that we can to stop it, you know? And uh, yeah. yeah. And, and for me, like, I mean, yes, things are certainly maybe improving from what they were 30 or 50 years ago, but I always feel like we take two steps forward one step back do you know what i mean like so is this suicide prevention stuff again it wasn't an issue 50 years ago because people weren't committing suicide and now it's a huge issue all over the kimberley people are just dropping like flies and sorry to say it's really horrible but like there's not one person in the kimberley who hasn't been directly affected by suicide like well yeah that's like the statistics are 97 percent of aboriginal people and torres strait island people will be affected by suicide Mm in some way, shape, or form. And that's where the story I shared was with my uh, brother who I lost um, when I was 15 um, to suicide. Um, and uh, it's those stories that, you know, often we can take it both ways. Either it can affect us to kind of uh, digress or progress. And a lot of the times I had that whole inner dialogue in my head that where I wanted to use it to say, I want to live this life, the best life I could live for my brother, for the people that I'd lost. Because I'm sure uh, there's a lot of people out there that uh, do feel like, especially leading from, I guess, 15 into their 18 years old age kind of bracket, uh, would be feeling what I felt, which was, I might die at 21 years old. And that's what I had back at 15 years of age, is um, I thought I was gonna die before my 21st birthday, and that was kind of a reality for me, um, thinking about it. Um, and I kept that to myself. And, you know, uh, I, instead of being like, wow, yes, I'm going to die. I'm just going to smoke ganja, do all this stuff like that. No, I traveled. I traveled the world trying to figure out how I can do whatever I can 
uh, for my people. And yeah. uh, there's a thing by Les Brown who said uh, that uh, you should be ashamed to die before making an impact on human humanity. And so that was kind of my thing was like, I don't want to die before I make an impact. Do you know, I think that's, that's I'm pro, and me and Aaron had this discussion. I was, was going to say, we had this discussion last night. <laughs> very pro, like, um, meaning and purpose. Like, I feel like the one thing that Aboriginal people struggle with at the moment is um, not find, feeling like there's a, a sense of meaning and purpose in their communities. And it's because their whole, everybody's like, the whole practice of Aboriginal culture has been like, pulled out from underneath them so how are Aboriginal people supposed to find this meaning and purpose in their life and I think that's so like pivotal in helping you to feel like you can do things I don't know absolutely yeah and I I was very similar to you I was like I went through a really hard time when I was in boarding school as well um and I think I was the same I was like well I can either I have two options here I can either you know get drunk and smoke ganja and ruin my life or I can do really well in my ATAR, get the results I want to, go to uni and get the degree and blah, blah, blah. I mean, I don't have a degree yet, but... <laughs> That's right. But do you know what I mean? Like, I, ha- I yeah. had... I was like, okay, I've got... I was like, I've got two options. Yeah. I either sit and wallow in my sorrow and I make my life bad and, and life around, like, pe- for people around me, bad as well because yeah. they feel sad watching me ruin my life. Yeah. Or I can do something different. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's the, the difference, though. And maybe maybe for me, I was lucky because I had just... I had lots of people around me who were supportive and believed in me and gave a shit about me. But also, I, I had that just that one person. And maybe lots of people don't have that one person or, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I guess it's not easy. Yeah. yeah. No, oh, definitely. It's, um, I think, everyone gets caught up with um, what that... Back to success and what that looks like. Um, and people tend to forget that every single day is another chance to turn everything around. So, like, if you are out there, you know, smoking ganja and, you know, you're feeling like this SSDD kind of thing, same shit, different day kind of stuff, <laughs> um, there is always decisions being made that can completely change your life. And often, sometimes we say we don't have the foundation and all skills to think like that. But if it's making you feel these things, you must utilize it to be like, nah, I need to change that. And uh, that's where I think uh, the creativity comes in and the imagination. And I always think that uh, I hear a lot of motivational speakers and they talk about imagination is the preview of a coming attraction. So if you can imagine it, you can create it. Even the chairs that we're sitting on right now was imagined and created. Every single thing in this room, every single thing in the car, whoever's listening to, every single thing in the house was imagined and created. Time travel. I can imagine time travel. Let's hope it's going to be created. Oh, definitely. <laughs> no, ev- yeah, absolutely. And so, but one of the biggest things is that you got to be equ- not equipped, but kind of open up your mind to these things. The uh, Something a lot of people say on this, you know, in this area is that you cannot become what you cannot see and i was just wondering whether what you think of that do you think that you know ultimately that curiosity does fall to the individual and there is an element of you know even if you cannot see it you might not even know that it exists but you need to have that inner curiosity to spread your horizon or do you really think that you know it's true you cannot become what you cannot see i think um we cannot be limited by that Mm is that uh, it's kind of like Aldous Dumbledore. 
who said you can find hope in the most darkest of places. Oh. The great philosopher. <laughs> yeah, the great philosopher. I love that. <laughs> yeah. So basically what he said was you can find hope in the darkest of places yeah. only if one remembers to turn on, turn the, light. on the light. So right now, like a lot of times, I feel like I'm moving in the dark. Mm. Right. I have no idea most of the time what I'm doing. All I know is that I'm guided by this hope mm. that I turn on in terms of that light to guide me. I don't know what is going to happen in the future. I just have this belief that is already created there. You know, no matter things that I haven't thought of yet, maybe think of next week um, that's already in the future. But I don't I haven't thought of it yet. And so next week I could stumble across it. I could stumble across it for just uh, cl this collective consciousness, like people talking about things and then it just comes. And then just by thinking of that, you set off this chain reaction, right? Uh, with the dreaming that allows it to exist in the future. And so now it's just me doing the work. And I always think this thing, if I don't do the work, it will never be created in the future. Um, and then like, if I do not do the work, it won't exist. If I do not do the work, my people won't have that thing to support them. And so it's like deliberately, living deliberately and uh, content on what you're doing, not because it pays the bills, but because it is supporting, you know, your community, your people, those kind of things. And it's identifying that often. That is quite hard. It's kind of also uh, this old father Les Brown talks about uh, how uh, getting out of the labels and actually achieving was actually the easiest part. The hardest part was believing he could do it. And so right now we're in this uh, stage of like, oh, can we actually do it? You know? And once we get past that, that's the hardest part. Yeah, it's about being brave and bold, I think. And Aboriginal people are becoming increasingly braver and bolder, yeah. I think. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. yeah, if I must add is that we need to have fun. And that's the one of the bloody biggest things here in the Kimberley. Like when we talk about suicide prevention, we should be talking about the celebration of life. Instead mm -hmm. of going and pumping statistics about our mental health, we should be showing how that can be utilized to celebrate life. Mm. And that's the one thing missing is this fire. We need to throw sticks on this fire. That's this idea of empowerment, but it's celebration of life. I mean, you can put mental, service, mental health services everywhere on every street corner if you wanted to, but it's only just a band-aid yeah. solution yeah. you know as you say yeah. it comes down to that that the thirst and that fire for life i think yeah, and, you know absolutely. And some people unfortunately that dwindles i don't think it's ever lost yeah. but um, yeah it's just about yeah. reigniting yeah. it and yeah. yeah i think it's like it is going where no one has been before and and that is it and those are narratives like let's just say for instance you guys love dc marvel is that wonder woman right was uh, actually not just one uh, female one woman fighting against all these things she was a symbol of women's act like rights and activism for female rights and womanhood um, yeah womanhood yeah. those kind of things if you look at superman for example that wasn't one man up against all these different things that was actually jewish people at a time right fighting against the spread of communism nazi germany you know so all of these different things are like little like easter eggs you know on how we need to uh, understand life and we read these things as entertainment when they're actually lived experience of people you know and once you start to change the shift the way you look at it and be like oh yep Harry Potter actually shares all these things on how I can learn and understand life and that's where uh, a lot of the creativity I had come from in terms of that education I have never studied film 
never studied writing, comic books, any of these things, illustrations, nothing. All I've done is patched up for $10 for five weekly movies at the Video 2000 down the road every weekend and watched movies, watched and looked at life. And those are the things that gave me like so much education. Mm. Um, it's kind of like when you play GTA, you play those kind of things. It's not just playing those things. You're developing skills, transferable skills. Like I talk about uh, cup soup, yeah, how you can become a CEO by cooking mee goreng, right? Do you guys know how to do that? No, tell no. us. Please. So <laughs> a lot of young people or people in general, right, if they go home, they're peckish, they might have a pack of mee goreng in their you know, in the cupboards. And I talk about how you can be a CEO uh, by just making, yeah, me goreng. And uh, so to be a CEO, there are three major skills, which is problem solving, decision making, and time management. And so when you go home today and you go and eat me goreng and you look at, oh, wait a minute, uh, the gas, we ran out of gas. How am I going to boil the water and make the noodles soft? Oh, the microwave, I'll boil it in there and use that to boil the water. That simple act is decision-making and problem-solving, right? If you go to the store and you know, oh, yep, oh, I tried all these things. Oh, there's a new thing here. Actually, no, I won't do that. I heard that it tastes like shit. No, your decision-making. When you get home, you're like, oh, I got to go to the gym. Oh, I got to go and do this. Oh, damn, I'll go home early. I'll do this so I can have something to eat. That is time management. All those different three skills that you're developing in just doing that act mm. is the skills that can be transferable for anyone to become a CEO. And that's the one thing and the information barrier that we don't know. A lot of rich people know, <laughs> but that is the difference, is that they know that these things don't just lead to you being a chef, you know, lead to you just quenching your thirst or hunger. These things lead you to transferring skills that can take you anywhere in the world. And that's what the stuff that we talk about at Year 13. That's pretty, that's year pretty 13 awesome. Year 13 do some awesome stuff. I've seen yeah. their, I'm on their email list. I get there. Oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah there you go. They do cool stuff. <laughs> yeah. Now, you've talked a little bit about it, but I want to just uh, have more of a chat about this because I know that you're, you do a lot of physical um, activity stuff. Um, what, like, what are some of the things you do that help you feel better when you're having a shit time or... Um, you know, make you feel good about yourself or when you, yeah. Oh, well, it's funny because um, one of the biggest things that I struggle with is balance. And um, there's a period of my life, right? So physically where, or life? Are we talking about? Oh, balance with everything. Okay. So balancing the physical with the mental, with business, with, uh, I guess, family, with all these mm. different things. I struggle with it. Um, and I'm learning to get better at it. Uh, so I go flat out 100% on one thing and then um when the other thing picks up i'll go flat out 100 percent with that and so in a large period of my life when i went and played rugby union first grade uh, uh the feeder club in the brumbies uh that was like one thing that i was doing that i was yeah brumbies that's oh we're gonna tell that story yeah, that's an inside joke, <laughs> inside joke. <laughs> i'm missing something uh, yeah, i know yeah, is yeah, that so the good. best footy team in australia yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um uh but i had that and i was 100 percent and i was smashing it and i was doing so great and I ended up winning the best forward for the season um, and that all these doors opened up and then um, that's when I'm doing something, one thing. Um, but then I had to expand and be like, 
can't just do one thing. And so at that time, I was also working with Prime Minister and Cabinet and with the Behavioural Economics team of the Australian Government. But still, it was like balancing my mental, my mental you know, health with all those different things and uh, also travelling away from home. And so it was a lot of balance that I had to do. And uh, going to the gym and doing those things um, was actually a huge factor in... Uh, kind of improving how I felt and what I did and uh, in terms of what I was going through so I could go and escape but also go and uh, get out the endorphins um, and actually while doing that have a bit of fun and I used to set little uh, games where I'll be like you know I'm the strongest man alive and I used to go and lift and try and lift as heavy as I could and set goals for what I'm doing oh I want to do a muscle up how do I do that and then I'll go and I'll do that so it's like setting goals within this thing that you're doing that kind of improved it like uh, just a few months back I was uh, setting a goal for like I'll run five kilometers a day and then COVID happened and I was stuck in Perth and those kind of things in life happens and so it was like hard to balance where now I haven't trained in but I'd say like three four weeks and I can feel uh, the difference between when I'm training and when I'm not training and I uh, get caught in this trap and this uh, kind of uh, uh, journey of like, oh, I'll do it tomorrow, I'll do it next week, or I'll keep pushing it back because now I'm using the excuse oh, I got a meeting at like 5.30 or even at 6.30 at night or 7 at night, and now I can't go. And so it's about uh, working with that inner dialogue, and sometimes it's about saying shut up to that inner dialogue because that inner dialogue for me all the times is filled with negativity mm-hmm. and uh, often once I get past it and push past it and say no I'm not going to listen to you we start to fill it with more of that uh, positive habits and positive dialogue and um, for me that always happens like at like in the afternoon when I'm feeling tired that's when like the chicken treat voice comes up <laughs> you know it's like oh you know, let's, uh, yeah, oh, you know, a chicken cheeseburger would be nice right now, you know, those kind of things. And a lot of people will start to hear that, but that's when you start to try and switch that inner dialogue or say shut up to that inner, inner dialogue. And it's just balancing all those things. And so right now I'm on that journey back from not being active to getting back because it is about my identity. And um, I encourage you, if you haven't read this book, um, or there's an audio book on Audible called Atomic Habits, and it's all about what is your identity. And so it talks about people smoking, right? And there's a difference between someone who will give up and someone who will continue smoking. And so if you were to ask two smokers, the first one, if I said, oh, would you like a smoke, right? And they're both giving up. One will say, sorry, I'm giving up smoking. And the second person, if I ask for a smoke, they might say, no, I'm not a smoker. And so who's going to give up? The person who's giving up or the person who has shifted their identity to being a non-smoker? So once you start to flip that and play with those kind of identities and be like, no, you know, uh, I'm going to train because I'm an athlete, not because I'm going to play footy, because I'm an athlete. So once you adopt that identity and what it means, then you create a huge uh, like, uh, standard for yourself. And it's kind of like, uh, like, you know, you don't get what your thing, you get what the standard is. So like, with like, if your standard is low for like making money and those kind of things, you know, it's like uh, people uh, want above average jobs. They want above average pay. They want the above average car without becoming an above average person. And so 
there must be all these things in the play to actually get what you want and sometimes that is hard work and so um once you start to shift that identity and thinking about yourself you shift everything yeah i think that's really interesting i think i i can resonate a little bit with that (laughs) yes and no because one thing i'm very like conscious of in you know my self-talk is that i'm try i try really hard not to beat myself up because i tend to do that a fair bit and i'll be like oh well you didn't do that so you're just a bad person so like i'm trying really hard not to do this negative self-talk while also um challenging myself and that's something that i do i think i do really well so in this giving up smoking situation that i'm going through right now (laughs) i'm trying to say um to myself don't like panic if you can't do it it's okay but at the same time do you know what challenge not just yourself but everybody else who thinks you can't do it and it's actually been a really good motivator for me and I feel like I can achieve more. And I think I think one example I use a fair bit is the Rubik's Cube. Yeah. So I learned how to do a Rubik's Cube just because I felt like I needed to have like a sense of achievement, I guess, feel like I'd done something positive. And so I decided in two days that I would learn this Rubik's Cube and then, you know, it took me two days to learn how to do it. And it was just because I wanted to prove to myself and everybody else that I could do it. So I can resonate with that as well. Um, and I think, yeah, I think this positive self-talk is so important because, yeah, I do go through, and I think and anybody who who suffers with mental health issues can relate to this as well, is, like, I struggle with, like, I don't know, feeling like I need to, like, the difference between saying, well, if you're going to go and get chicken treat, you're a shit person, or saying, it's okay, you just had a bad day, you, you know, maybe you can pick it up next time or whatever, you know, so I think I struggle with that. Yeah, hmm. it's interesting, yeah. but important. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you're clearly a very disciplined person. I knew yeah. you were disciplined uh, as soon as you were saying about his, talking about your training regime in Canberra. And anyone who knows a Canberra winter playing rugby yeah. in Canberra. That was ridiculous. And I, uh, I, I struggled to get out of bed in, in, in Canberra during the winter, and I think most people could relate to that. Yeah. And here you are yeah, out was, training yeah. first-grade rugby. It's very admirable. That was, <laughs> yeah, a lot of... Um, uh, wearing a few extra socks than and usual. balancing a bomb <laughs> job as well. Yeah, yeah, an awesome yeah job. absolutely. It's um, yeah, it is that balance, and definitely because um, most of the time I spent a lot of time alone, and uh, that is the one thing that I think uh, I set out to make sure is that I was going to be okay alone, in my head, um, because a lot of time you know, like that boarding house room, I spent alone getting to know who I am and what I was going to do to make sure that I would get through, grow through it. Um, and so uh, that's what I always think is that we have things out there and a lot of the dominant culture in schools, which uh, is crazy in terms of uh, assimilation to like that dominant culture is just absolutely crazy. And I s- I've seen that over time with my niece and watching her and watching her from this uh, person who would be very vocal and she wouldn't care. She would laugh. She'd uh, like, you know, swear, do all these different things and be want to sing in front of people and that. And when that shift goes from the dominant culture being at home where we're harboring this individuality and wanting her to express herself and do those things to the dominant culture in school where it kills individuality, you can start to see the shift in that where it's like, oh, that's not cool. Or like, oh, I don't want to get up and sing. That's not cool. Or like those kind of things. So it's like being conscious of uh, this whole uh, concept of um, uh, when you go for a walk with someone. Have you ever heard of that? No. All right. 
No. All right. Okay. Well, when you go for a walk with someone, and I encourage you because it's part of uh, just getting active as well, <laughs> is when you go for a walk with someone, I want you, there's one or two things will happen. Either you'll adjust to the person you're walking to, or they will adjust to the speed you're walking at. And so I want everyone to think about who are they adjusting to? Are you adjusting to your own dreams, or is it out of your control or you're just trying to wake up go to that job and uh are you in control my girlfriend just always complains that i walk too slow so <laughs> I, I i'm the slow walker and i make i make what does that mean walk. what does that mean no it means that uh well in terms of uh, assimilation and kind of uh conforming conformity um it shows if you're going to like go up and thing you know you're conforming to the idea that you have to keep up with someone else hmm I make people walk as slow as me. I'll yeah. say, slow down. Yeah. yeah. I can't walk that fast. You need to walk with me. Yeah. Well, see, there you go. <laughs> she definitely does that. I can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it. Whose pace are you adjusting to? Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. Interesting. That's really cool. I'm going to use that one. Yeah. I thought it was interesting what you're talking about with schools and the um, and how you have to conform to the, the sort of the prevailing main culture yeah. I, I find interesting interesting though um school cultures i think are interesting generally but they use often particularly at the big private schools boarding schools yeah. those sorts of things you might have found they use sort of the cloak of tradition yeah to sort of just make sure everyone conforms and follows the the you know the the avenue yeah. that oh, everyone yeah. before them has followed and everyone has done it this way yeah. therefore that's the way we will do it now and yeah. tradition is Obviously, like anything, tradition is really important, you know, for all cultures and, and, you know, I guess schools have their own tradition, but it can also, in some instances, really thwart, as you say, yeah. individuality and the ability for people to yeah. chart their own own avenues. Yeah. I think it comes down to choice. Mm. I think it comes down to people not feeling like they have to do something because society or tradition or, or whatever else says they have to. I think it comes down to people feeling like if I choose to follow this path and tradition and this whatever, then so be it. Like, I shouldn't have to... Yeah. Yeah, I think it comes down to options and choice. Absolutely. And that school environment was certainly something that I had to grow through. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and one of the things I realised is that... Um, and this was a learning curve for me, especially as I became an adult, was that because I was in a very gutted, you know, I was in boarding school, I was in a very gutted dominated like school. And one thing they used to make me do all the time is do acknowledgement to country. And it, they, it was, it was non-Aboriginal people defining my Aboriginality because that's what their perception of being Aboriginal was. Yep. And I struggled with that for years because I sat there and I went, hang on this doesn't feel right to me in my guts because this is not like my experience of being Aboriginal. My experience is with my family. It's not getting up and talking on this thing about acknowledging somebody else's country. Like this is not, mm. that's not how I felt. Like, yeah. And people would put this like, oh, you've got to do well because you've got the whole of Aboriginal people on your shoulders and you've got to, no, 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 you've got to do the right thing by your people. And, and I began to resent these people who said this stuff to yeah. me because it was like, hang on, you don't actually know my journey. Yeah. For starters, you don't know anything about my people and my family. You're saying that because you think it's the right thing you want me to do so that you feel like you've helped Aboriginal people. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's got nothing to do with me or my family or my experience of being Aboriginal. So I struggled a lot 
with that, I think, in my high school experience, which is why I think I left mm. and uni as yep. well, which is why I think I left uni. Um, and, and yeah, like this feeling of like not fitting in quite because I was always like too white for the black kids and too black for the white kids and all of this stuff. And then having multiple people tell me what I should and shouldn't be, you know. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Did you have a yeah. similar experience, Scott? The um, well, uh, well, acknowledgement of countries, but they almost treat it as yeah. a welcome to country view, yeah. I guess. There's I, a bit of a confusion there yeah. in the Gaudiya schools. Yeah. Where they they yeah. just think, oh. A black person yeah, get up and welcome yeah. you. It's appropriate yeah. for him yeah. to do the welcome when yeah. it's not, yeah. not your country, even, yeah. you know? So. Yeah. I think there's still that, again, information barrier, mm. like now, because um, I, every time, and I'm like, would say the token. Aboriginal in the in the meeting or in the thing and we have like oh who would like to do the acknowledgement uh scott would you like and i'm like uh no no that i would much rather like uh thing and i can see like them thinking it uh sometimes you know um but no it, it's uh it, it's crazy um because that experience in school um it is kind of you can feel like a handbag um in terms of uh showcasing or here we have our um, you know our uh, role model or like our you know model citizen um, that we showcase and those kind of things um, but especially when it comes to I guess NADOC week and those kind of things where there is has to be that shift um, in terms of how we actually uh, integrate uh, a communication between those that um, do not have any education in this cultural uh, safety inclusivity space um, and equipping our people with the tools to be able to communicate it to them as well in a way that where um, we come together. It's gotta be like this unity where it's like, okay, we're not boxing this in that we need to get an Aboriginal corporation to come and do Aboriginal inclusivity training and we tick a box, but it has to be this thing where it's our identity as a school, as uh, Australia, that we incorporate and integrate Aboriginal culture into everything that we do. And that is a part of citizenship. If you do any kind of citizenship, two birth certificates. If we have birth certificate right and we have, you know, uh, someone, a non-Indigenous person born in Broome, uh, they should say it itself at the bottom, at the top, where were you born? On Yaru country. Mm. Those kind of things, even with your passport. Those kind of stuff that actually integrates this unity of and inclusivity where Aboriginal cultures and this thing that Aboriginal people do, <laughs> Aboriginal people live, it is an Australian identity. Do you know what? I 100% support that. And I have had this discussion multiple times, and I think on this show maybe once. Um, <laughs> I don't like NADOC Week. Yeah. Um, because I feel like it's, uh, what is it, like Dance Monkey yeah. for Aboriginal people. Like once a week, get up and do your dances and your performance, and we'll sit there and go, wow and then we'll forget about you for the rest of the year. Yeah. Um, so I feel Ticks like... the box. Yeah, and I feel like... who? So who's who's that for? Because it's certainly not for Aboriginal people because Aboriginal people should be given the right to do and celebrate their traditions and their cultures and their whatever every day of the year yeah. in their own environment on their terms rather than as a show for everybody else. Yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> I won't go too much into that. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think that's a really good point. Like why... Why is this something that's like, um, it should be like our everyday, like how we think, like certain, you and I don't get a choice. That's how we think we have to. Cause every day we get up, we look in the mirror and we go, oh, I'm brown. Like I can't like 
stray away from my identity. It's not like I can think any other way. Um, so like, why why aren't we doing it that way anyway? You know, yeah. like yeah. anyway, that's a another long discussion. <laughs> um, real quick, do you have? I know you've kind of said this throughout the show. Some really awesome motivational, inspirational stuff. But any maybe in a summary, any kind of like bits of advice that you'd give to people who have been or are going through a similar journey growing through a similar journey um or you know have experience or even interested in starting their own businesses or whatever any kind of words of advice for listeners yeah no definitely i think uh uh it's like going into uh like my little like satchel of quotes your best one (laughs) (laughs) lord of the rings rings. (laughs) (laughs) one doesn't simply no (laughs) um uh, well i think uh in terms of the advice is that uh, there's actually a poem, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, and I said this before with Robert Frost, um, who wrote a poem that says, there's two uh, roads diverged in wooden eye, and I took the one less traveled by, and that had made all the difference. And so nothing in this world uh, was created by, uh, you know, uh, following... A template of following you know uh, a plan or all these different things often it was just out of just simple creativity and drive and passion and so I encourage anyone that's listening out there because this is what I just it's in my DNA I had just had to explore life in this way where uh, I didn't want to ever ask for permission um, uh, you know and so when it came to all these different things, I searched it. When people asked me, how did you do that? Well, like Elon Musk, I just jumped on YouTube. I jumped on anything that was kind of like an encyclopedia that allowed me to learn, I jumped onto that. And because right now, uh, from a lot of data that we're getting from in terms of young people in the Kimberley wanting to achieve their dreams, the two major barriers are, they feel they, they don't have the money, the resources, and they don't feel educated enough. And I am baffled by that because my entire life I had support by organizations, not-for-profits, that supported me to travel across Australia to go to boarding school. And the other thing is educated enough. I literally have no education in the sense of what I'm doing right now. It is all driven strictly by passion and this undeniable need to create it. And so once you establish that purpose, that idea, that uh, more so that passion and marry that into ways that you feel works for you, uh, I think all it takes is just a tap of the button on Google or even a phone call, even an email. Uh, That's why I talk about Brumbies. (laughs) I emailed Brumbies and I said, hey, I want to be a professional player. Have I played rugby union before in my entire life? Never in my life. Yeah. And I emailed them and they emailed me back and they said, what is your history thing like that? I said, I did some stuff with the AFL um, at the beginning of my life, um, but I want to be a professional athlete. And then they said, oh, can you come for preseason training? I went across to and they put me in their first grade feeder club and I did preseason training and I debuted the following year. Um, It just takes that email and there's no secret to this whole idea of success, but there's a system to success. And you can create a system to become successful. 
that some some really good advice and there I we think have it. <laughs> there yeah <you> go. <laughs> I know I, I'm thinking that's I, I'm certainly like you in the sense that if I don't if I can't find any information like in front of me I will look for it yeah um another thing just real quick um what's a song that you would recommend for the show Ooh, a song it's gonna be put on at the end of the yeah Ooh, show. uh the song I recommend is uh out of time by jk47 okay all right cool well we'll chuck that on thank you so much for joining us it's been uh absolute delight thank you scott awesome no thank you both (laughs) (laughs) um and yeah we look forward to seeing you do some really positive things in the future making big moves yeah stay deadly (laughs) (laughs) awesome cheers thank you for listening to this fortnight's episode of deadly justice we will catch you next time Now we don't need no pat on our backs, we ain't satisfied with that shit. They said that they're genuine, but men are straight up catfish. Cause my people are dying much quicker than the average. Ever understand the tragic habits of these black kids? Would've been straight if them colonies never come along. And we don't need nobody telling us we done it wrong. They staring too long when they look at me with utter disgust. But it ain't me, believe society been fucking this up. Father beat me, so I'd rather be out running them up. Than be at school or at home, was there nothing to love? 14 years old, drinking and smoking the Buds, doing what my daddy did, drunk at front of the pub. Uh huh, but all I done was what I'm used to. And all that shit that's on the news wasn't new to us. They don't pay dues to us. I don't watch morning shows, cause they don't know what it's like when you're born this broke. This government's a joke, I ain't really listening. Everything they talk and belong in the pot I'm pissing in. A fair argument, never in a million. They took over this land just to tell me what a Christian is. Hand to God, I bet that they don't even know themselves. To cut me off and then tell me places to go for help. I was getting high at times when I was low cause hell I don't know who's on my side I don't even know myself and the road gets cold when you know you gotta go yourself had the sense but you left it back home on your shelf what I tell ain't a story it's reality they ruining that land just for that money and the sad to see all that hate and all the greed in these people I cannot believe in the evil in people how we gonna find a time to teach all these people what my brothers gotta do to be equal as people I don't trust governors they ain't even the people they ain't even living through the shit that we live in dude got a nice place fireplace up in that living room disgracing my race to my face and now i'm in my mood i feel a past hit it's hard enough to feel the bruise this obsession for a dollar's gonna kill a few so learn your lesson walk in love what you need to do you put your own race above another but we all human time is up being patient ain't the case it's a race now to make sure that we straight because the world's getting cold people need the light so i come with that fire every time i rock a mic hit a vibe book a flock i want that shit forever but if I'ma get it right, I better get my shit together So I put in the effort, get the cash and then stretch it Never half-stepping, brother, I'll make sure they get the message And leave these haters guessing, never knowing what I'm about to go and do, bruh But trust I'm busting out, I got this covered like a doona In the way that I maneuver, it's super So tell these rappers, suit up Cause I'm in it for way more than the moolah I want the type of shit to maintain 
in your brain like medulla. Oblin gotta rather be smarter than pick a tool up. Targeting the bastards, always trying to confuse us. When I take away our pathways, I'm about to start a new one. Can't talk about the blast off, three, two, one. Everyone in front better make way or move up. Remembering the days, dad saying I'm a loser. Now I'm using every minute that I got and can't lose one. This is for the ones who've been abused, feeling used up. Choices that you make matter, think before you choose one. Some people never know love until they lose one. Some people never show up until the food come. But you the one in charge of you, stay focused. Emotions never had you, you just have emotions. Yeah, I know you had it hard, just know I was thinking of you all the while I wrote this. Much love.